welcome to Counterpunch Radio. My name is Eric Dreitzer. Thanks so much for tuning in, coming back to the show. If you're a returning listener, welcome. If you're a first-time listener, very happy to have you on board. Lots of really important information to get to today. If you like Counterpunch and you want to be a supporter, please get a subscription to the print magazine or just a donation through the PayPal works as well. We do depend on you guys and your continued support to keep printing on paper, to keep printing, uh, you know, publishing online, to keep putting out the podcast and all of the other content. So we really appreciate all of the support and the continued support in the future. So let me turn to my guest today. Very happy to welcome him back to the show. Somebody whose work I respect more than I care to describe here because I don't want to flatter him while he's on the line. Um, Arun, Arun Gupta is with me. I guess it's Arun Gupta. I keep mispronouncing everything, Arun. Is it Arun Gupta or Gupta? Uh, Gupta. Gupta. Okay, very good. Yeah, Arun yeah. Gupta is here today. Uh, no More Concentration Camps is a very, very important new organization that I would recommend everybody follow, become a part of. Arun is the founding uh, member and the driving force behind it, or one of the driving forces, I guess. Uh, no More yeah, Camps. Yeah, we have a great team. Exactly. There's a there's a, a bunch of people involved. I wanted to bring this to everybody's attention and to talk about this situation that we have at the border. So uh, without any further ado, Arun, welcome back to Counterpunch Radio. Thanks for having me on, Eric. And, and uh, it's, it's mutual. I, I respect uh, your work greatly, too. Thank you so much. So let's talk about nomorecamps.org, No More Concentration Camps on Facebook. The call was put out a number of weeks ago. Tell us, Arun, what uh, was the impetus behind this and how has it developed thus far? Well, uh, the impetus was when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said these are concentration camps and she backed it up, you know, citing uh, the Andrea, I think her name is, is it Pitzer or Pritzer? Um, the historian uh, who wrote the book that just came out, One Long Night, A Global History of Concentration Camps, who said these are concentration camps. They're not death camps, you know, but uh, death camps don't start out as, as death camps. You know, the uh, Nazi concentration camps, uh, you know, for instance, she talks about at Ravensbrück, uh, which was a, a concentration camp for women that later turned into a death camp. Uh, early in were given bedding, fresh sheets, uh, silverware. They were given uh, fresh fruit, sausages, jam, bread, you know, but they were still concentration camps. And concentration camps is a very sim simple definition. It's just, it means that you concentrate people against their will based on uh, some identity. So this is very simple. And these are clearly concentration camps. There should be no debate. Un unfortunately, uh, we have a media who, uh, as much as they claim to be objective and concerned with properly defining things, are really only concerned with uh, kowtowing to power. Uh, so this has become a controversial term, not, uh, not because it's being misused, but because, of course, you're getting this fierce pushback 
from the far right, the the fascists in the White House. Um, that's another issue. It's just like uh, Trump is a, a, I think clearly at this point, he's a fascist. And I, I, I think there's probably uh, only a handful of mainstream reporters, if that, who could even uh, give a proper definition of fascism. So this is why we don't get any discussion of why there's fascism. But in any case, so it began with AOC saying these are concentration camps. This set off a firestorm, you know, like Lynn Cheney, Dick Cheney's daughter starts criticizing her. And it's just like, oh, the daughter of the guy who set up this global gulag and launched this war that's killed one million plus Iraqis is uh, trying to uh, school her on what is a proper use of uh, uh, terminology regarding atrocities or not. So I put up a Facebook post saying we need a national march on the border, and that went viral. And so from there, um, a bunch of people came out of the woodwork and we started talking like, well, how do we set something up? Uh, You know, and we're not trying to, you know, I want to be clear from the get go. We're just coming into this figuring out how do we bring uh, a lot more people into the existing movement. There's a lot of really important frontline organizations out there who've been doing important work for years and decades, such as Cosecha, such as Mi Gente, such as United We Dream, Raices, American Friends Service Committee, on and on, New Sanctuary uh, Coalition, who've been, who they've been the ones uh, leading this fight, uh, the immigrant and Latinx organizations. But what we started to realize very quickly is there's so many people who want to get involved and yet are having a hard time figuring out how to get involved, right? You know, you can go to a protest, a vigil, and that it's important, you know, to be counted, but it's it's not the type of intense, like, protest, direct action, blockades, immigrant defense um, that needs uh, to go on to really kind of put up real resistance, not symbolic resistance uh, to the Trump administration's ethnic cleansing. And again, that's another term you won't hear in the mainstream media, but that's clearly what's going on is ethnic cleansing. You mean when uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement deliberately rounds up only black and brown people and ignores all of the white visa overstays and all of the other white undocumented immigrants, that somehow that's ethnic cleansing? Exactly. Or that we uh, have a Muslim ban um, or, you know, that uh, they uh, the Trump administration has this open contract uh, to uh, build a, a migrant uh, camps at Guantanamo for 13,000 people. It's a general services administration contract. People can go online and find it um, where they want to disappear migrants uh, because if they put them at Guantanamo, uh, they're out of uh, control of the courts, of Congress, the media, the public, lawyers, human rights workers. Um, you know, this is essentially disappearing them. And, you know, this is a point that, you know, I want to keep coming back to is just that like concentration camps don't go away. They always get worse. They set in this dynamic of that it just the atrocities just keep getting worse. Um, and, you know, this is also something I think that I, I think a lot of people fail to understand about Trump. Certainly a lot of leftists uh, failed to understand this about Trump in 2016, that this is not someone who's static. He is he is someone who is very dynamic in a horrible scary way 
Um, but he he keeps kind of upping himself, and this is not an accident. He has to keep kind of becoming more and more extreme to make things worse because he's trying to polarize the public more and more uh, to win them to his side. And so what we've seen with with uh, uh, immigration policy, you know, a year ago, everyone was talking about family separation, you know, and now it's concentration camps, right? But the thing is, the family separation is still going on. You know, like we have these, quote unquote, child influx shelters, they should not even exist because the reason that they're filling them up with thousands of children is they are illegally um, separating families at the border still. You know, we've seen this, you know, when AOC and the, the other Congress uh, women went down to the border, they saw all these uh, women, all these mothers who said their child were taken from them. And a judge ruled last year, this is unconstitutional, that uh, family integrity is a constitutional right. It's it's what's called an unenumerated right, but it is a constitutional right. So this is all illegal. And, you know, let me point out that I think it's important for folks to like learn this stuff, you know, like hit people back hard when they say, like, you know, the law is the law, illegal means illegal. Everything the Trump administration is doing is illegal. Under U.S. law, asylum seekers are allowed to come to a port of entry and say, I have a credible fear of persecution. They are under the law. They're supposed to be let into the country to present their claim. And then they're supposed to be allowed to stay while that claim is adjudicated. You may not like it, but it's the law. So the Trump administration is stopping people from coming um, to ports of entry to present their claim. That's illegal. Asylum seekers who do manage to get in to present their claim are being, uh, some of them are being shipped back to Mexico. That is completely illegal. The family separation is completely illegal. Holding children uh, for more than 72 hours or holding anyone for more than 72 hours at a border patrol facility is illegal. Holding children for more than 20 days, and the average is now up to 72 days, is illegal, right? So in other words, the only criminals are the, the Trump administration. I was going to say Bush administration, but you know, it's, it's hard, to, hard to remember your criminal presidency. But isn't that, isn't that interesting, Arun? Because you and I were talking about that before we started recording about how I, you can draw some very clear lines, even down to the level of individuals from the Bush administration through the Obama administration and into the Trump administration. Now, I'm not suggesting each individual worked for all three, but you can find these commonalities. For instance, when the Bush administration implemented, quote unquote, enhanced interrogation or torture, now all of those techniques and processes, they've been uh, formalized and they've been kind of implemented as an almost standard operating procedure in these concentration camps from uh, sleep deprivation to sonic torture and, and lights and all kinds of other things that they've been doing. Similarly, with uh, the extraordinary rendition program, you could point to a number of things that were established under Bush and Cheney and carried through all the way till today, where, as you say, Trump is ramping it up. So I'd like to get your comment about that. And then the other thing I, I just want to uh, ask you, doesn't this remind us and demonstrate very clearly that when we confront a fascist movement and a fascist uh, leader, 
that we can't simply rely on the rule of law. Oh, yeah, of course. And, and you know, let's not forget that, you know, this all like, oh, but it's legal. Well, slavery, slavery was legal. Native American genocide was legal. Jim Crow was illegal. Uh, child labor and child abuse was legal. Uh, women as uh, second class citizens was legal. Enforced pregnancy was legal. And, uh, you know, the right is trying to take us back. Uh, to those days, uh, very hard. Uh, uh, LGBTQ people were illegal, right? So it's just like, and you know, the Holocaust was perfectly legal under under uh, the Nazi uh, uh, legal regime. So you know, this idea of like, oh, it's legal is of course ridiculous. You know, whatever you say, like, uh, I, you know, like to these. Uh, uh, right wing lunatics like, uh, you know, we're going to ban assault rifles. They they immediately start talking about civil war and just like, oh, what's the matter? You don't like the wall, the law. And if you're talking about civil uh, war, that's treason. You can be shot for that. Um, you know, so, of course, you know, the, the fact the fact that they're hypocrites uh, shouldn't come as any surprise. You know, it's just like you, when you when you have this like um, uh, lie machine in the White House and that doesn't even get get at it. You know, again, you have a media completely incapable of portraying the fact that what tr Trump is trying to do is he's very much trying to create an alternate reality. That's why he's lying constantly, because that's the way that the the dictator binds um, his uh, cult following to them, where he's creating this entire alternate reality. The lies aren't just um, kind of convenient. It's it's to, you know, to separate uh, his, his uh, movement, his fashion fascistic movement. And, you know, and, and let me just say quickly, when we say fascism, fascism, we are using it in the proper sense, right? Um, Make America Great Again is a movement for national birth, uh, rebirth and national re renewal, which are hallmarks of fascism. It's against degeneracy, right? Trump is, is obsessed. Like his language is always alternates between beauty and disgust, right? You know, the wall's going to be beautiful, you know, where, whereas like, you know, uh, these people are, they're coming from shithole countries, you know, it, it's, it's this like very kind of like, um, it, his language is very much concerned with the body, right? And that's fascistic, you know, the whole blood and soil aspect. He's certainly an ethno-nationalist. No one can no one can deny that anymore. He's a white nationalist. He he's an authoritarian. He's illiberal. Um, you know, it's not a perfect match, but then again, you know, fascism, you have all sorts of different strains of fascism over the last century. You know, Mussolini's fascism wasn't quite what Hitler's fascism was. It wasn't like what, um, you know, say Suharto was in uh, Indonesia. Um, you know, uh, Spanish fascism was also uh, somewhat different. But and, Trump... and, and, you know, Arun, to that point, just to add to that, to that point, all of those European fascisms borrowed very heavily from the Southern Confederate uh, uh, history in the United States. In fact, uh, we've talked about it on this show. Uh, you know, many of Hitler and the Nazis laws and legal structures were modeled on Jim Crow. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and also the reservation system um, was, was uh, uh, used uh, uh, as a model for both concentration camps 
you know, and, and the, the reservations were technically predated concentration camps. The first instance of uh, concentration camps was uh, Spain's use of them in Cuba. People often think it's the Boer War, but that's actually, um, and I think they think that because it's whites doing it to other whites. Uh, but actually, the first instance was uh, the Spanish, and they called them recontracion, you know. Uh, so they, that was the first use of it, the concentration camps in Cuba. And then Germany in M Namibia and then the British uh, in the Boer War, where they um, were imprisoning uh, uh, the white uh, Afrikaners uh, in these concentration camps. Um, so, but, you know, if you look at what Native American reservations were in the, throughout the 19th century, and certainly well into the 20th century, they were pretty much uh, concentration uh, camps as well, um, at least de facto, you know, you could quote unquote leave, but you really didn't have many options uh, to leave, and uh, you'd often be persecuted. And there, you know, Jim Crow didn't just extend to African Americans, right? It also covered Native Americans uh, in in the west of the Rockies, and it uh, covered uh, Chicanos, and it it also covered uh, Asians. Indeed, and one of the other aspects of all of this that I want to get your comment on is is the role that other agencies and other institutions play in this broader architecture because you know we now have documentation on collaboration between ICE and CBP with local uh, CBP being Customs and Border uh, Protection that uh, working with local law enforcement working with other agencies that what we're seeing is not simply the creation of a physical gulag structure it's also the creation of a of a sort of comprehensive uh, cooperative architecture within law enforcement and other agencies. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, that's certainly true. I mean, uh, you know, we've we've learned, for instance, recently that uh, the FBI and ICE are uh, mining um, driver's license databases, and that's particularly chilling, uh, given the fact that uh, there's been this movement that's been going on for well over a decade um, to give uh, undocumented immigrants uh, driver's licenses, you know, because this is a public safety uh, measure that if, if if people are licensed, uh, uh, you know, you're going to and they go through the training and have to take the test um, and have to get insurance that you're going to have uh, safer uh, uh, roads. Um, but now that information is being fed into the FBI and ICE data, uh, the FBI database that ICE is, is mining. Um, you know, and we often hear all this talk about sanctuary cities, but a lot of that is pretty hollow, right? It's just these resolutions, and there's all these um, minute ways in which uh, agencies continue to cooperate. I know, for instance, that there have been a, a number of cases, um, you know, I visit Portland regularly, uh, in which uh, uh, law enforcement employees uh, uh, were, I think, in the sheriff's department out in Portland, um, uh, Multnomah County, actually, were feeding information to ICE um, about uh, detainees, which was illegal. Um, but there's there's no punishment uh, in place for that, right? So they they can do it, and they they don't have to worry about being punished. And um, so that's why. 
you know, it's often hard to figure out what to do because you really have to dive down into the actual machinery uh, and learn what is happening, um, you know, or or it requires a good bit of involvement. But, you know, one thing I do want to say is, is like there have been things that have been going on that I think are really inspiring. Um, for instance, uh, there was that incident in uh, Tennessee um, where – I, ICE was trying to detain um, a couple of uh, immigrants um, who are in a vehicle. And this is a thing also. The ICE raids are almost always illegal. They use administrative warrants, and they will use those warrants to uh, uh, basically lie to people to um, – to enter their homes, to start questioning them. And they're not judicial warrants. And so what they're doing is they're violating people's Fourth Amendment uh, rights against unreasonable search and seizure. And that covers everyone. You don't have to be a citizen, right? This is one of the lies that I've seen, you know, of, of, of the, the pro-Trumpkin fascists. Is it just like, oh, this doesn't apply to non-citizens? It's just like, how stupid are you? All, all of this applies to everyone um, in the United States. And so I ICE is, you know, illegally uh, carrying out uh, uh, these raids. And in Tennessee, neighbors uh, started to see that this raid was going on. They started helping this family. Um, then uh, uh, basically immigrant uh, rights activists were contacted and they came and started filming. And this standoff is going on for hours because ICE can't force their way into the vehicle, especially when it's it's surrounded by people and many of whom started live streaming um, on, uh, on Facebook and elsewhere. And eventually... Uh, uh, neighbors and the immigrants' rights activists form a human chain around the car, and the immigrants are able to run out and into their home uh, safe uh, from ICE. And so, you know, this was just one instance, but, you know, Trump was making all these threats starting a few months ago about how we're going to deport a million immigrants. And then a few weeks ago, he's like, there are going to be raids coming. And of course, he's completely compromising operational security by saying there's going to be raids coming. And he's like, we're going to pick up thousands of people. We're going to deport them. And it turns out they only picked up 35. Now, that's 35 too many, but they were hoping to pick up uh, 2,000. Um, so the fact that they only picked up 35, I think, is just incredible testimony to how organized people are getting to shutting down these raids. Indeed. And of course, at the same time, we have to recognize that ICE and the other forces that we're up against are also going to shift their tactics and, and, and find ways of uh, uh, counteracting this sort of solidarity work that is being done. So Arun, can you hang out for a few more minutes? We'll go to a break and come right back. Sure. Thank you. All right. And we'll be right back. Enjoy the music. A lot more to discuss with Arun right after this. Let's 
myself Crisis point we need the hour Counterforce will do no good Hot you as I feel your power It's for you that funky stuff It's not for you and me, girl Europe's an unhappy land They've had their fascist groove thing here on Counterpunch Radio. Uh, a little short on time, so we're going to try to cram in as much information as we can here. Uh, Arun, before the break, you were you were talking a little bit about, uh, well, you were referencing specifically the story about uh, DMV information on undocumented drivers being fed to ICE, and that raises a very interesting question, one that I've been looking at and a lot of other people have as well, and that is the, the intersection between big tech, that is these, these very advanced tech companies and uh, data, data mining, data aggregation, and how that is used in the, this sort of fascist uh, uh, immigration system. So I want to just get your comment on that. I, not, not necessarily getting into all the details, but talking at a broad level about the involvement of Silicon Valley and some of the most advanced, you know, uh, minds in the tech world being literal fascist collaborators. Yeah. So, you know, um, everything these days is, is about big data. And when when you're trying to, you know, uh, um, track uh, millions of people across a population of over 300 million people, um, the government has a, a great interest um, on, a, a, you know, data mining. And I and so for that, uh, they they need uh, the tech industry. And so there are a number of companies that have been uh, working uh, with uh, ICE and DHS. You know, it's Amazon, Palantir, Microsoft, Salesforce, uh, General Dynamic. American Friends Service Committee um, has a campaign where they're listing a lot of these companies and explaining the whole architecture. And then Mihente, or, or sometimes it's Con Mihente, uh, 
um, they have this whole campaign that folks should check out called No Tech for Ice, um, that they're looking to target these companies as well. I'll, I'll talk about Amazon a second because I know uh, for a second because I know that the best. I recently did a story in the Progressive about uh, um, how Amazon was defeated uh, in coming to New York. And, you know, uh, at the Nuremberg rally that Trump held in North Carolina in in July, he attacked AOC, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, like she stopped Amazon. I mean, that's complete BS. But this, this is, again, this is an example of bad reporting. I can't tell you how many, like, articles I read after Amazon withdrew that were saying, Saying, oh, it was because of AOC, which is absurd. Really, is that a couple of tweets from her could stop a trillion-dollar corporation from uh, coming to New York? And so I ended up like uh, going to Queens repeatedly and meeting with groups and investigating what was going on. And it was a really incredible story that almost no one reported uh, right. You know, there was a good piece in like the Guardian, the Nation, and funny enough, the Washington Post. And and so essentially, I'll cut to the. That campaign was led by undocumented uh, immigrant women of color from 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 Mexico, from Latin America, from uh, uh, South Asia. And the reason Queens is 52 percent immigrant by itself, it's over two million people. It would be the fifth largest city uh, in the U.S. And what they really organized around was now the, the union opposition also got a lot of, of press. But what they were organizing around was the fact that Amazon um, has this facial recognition technology. It's called recognition with a K. It's really creepy. And these email surface showed that um, Amazon was trying to sell it to ICE. There was a city council hearing um, in in December of 2018 uh, where Amazon executives testified, and they were repeatedly allowed to set the record straight. They were asked, you know, can you uh, deny, will you deny that you're providing this to ICE? And they refused to deny that they were providing this facial recognition technology to ICE. Now, interestingly, this facial recognition technology now there's this whole history like um anyone who's like a photographer knows it like essentially kodak um with uh film had this choice to make uh what skin tones to accurately represent and surprise surprise during the jim crow era with color film it decided that it would represent caucasian skin tones the, the most accurate accurately. So what we're seeing is something similar with um, Amazon's facial recognition technology is it has difficulty properly identifying people of color. So the ACLU took Amazon's facial recognition uh, surveillance technology and used it on all 535 members of Congress. And something like 30 of them were um, identified as other people who had criminal records. And a majority of them were people of color right so in and do you think the trump administration cares about this of course not they'll deploy this technology just sweep everyone up and 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 start like deporting them uh and and sending them back you know with with no appeal uh possible whatsoever and so this is what really turned 
people in Queens against Amazon. It was these immigrant rights groups who were really rooted in the community, um, in all the various immigrant communities who were really getting, uh, turning the tide of public opinion. And this is just one company, right? There's also Palantir, um, General Dynamics provides a license plate reading technology, um, Salesforce, I think they do some sort of like um, data management system. I'm, I'm not even sure what the hell they do. Um, and I think Microsoft uh, role is it might be web services, but uh, Amazon does that as well. But Essentially, uh, the government could not be doing these national dragnets without all this technology. And so there are a lot of organizations who want to start to uh, who are going after these tech companies. And this is also a really good target, something folks should think about getting involved in, because these tech companies are uniquely vulnerable uh, to both internal and external pressure. In a number of instances, there have actually been uh, petitions by employees calling on the companies to stop uh, uh, working uh, with ICE. It's because who wants to be supplying you know, someone running concentration camps? And then also they, they are very jealous of their public image, right? They want to keep a good public image, especially because of all the, uh, you know, just uh, really hideous problems we've seen come out of uh, Silicon Valley and the corruption of, you know, our, uh, the uh, kind of the formal uh, democratic process uh, in the U.S. Um, so going after these tech companies could have a real effect or going after other companies, right? Ogilvy and Mather, the huge uh, uh, advertising firm uh, conglomerate, they have a $12 million contract with uh, Customs and, and Border Patrol. Or, you know, recently there was that walkout by Wayfair workers because uh, they were angry to find that they were supplying bedding uh, to these uh, concentration camps. Um, Aramark, uh, which is uh, one of the biggest food services company, uh, is also uh, supplying uh, uh, goods to the concentration camps. So, you know, everyone knows we're not going to change Trump's mind. But the thing is, Trump has to depend on all these other parts of the machinery working uh, to keep to uh, institute this ethnic cleansing. So if you start to knock out parts of the machine, that's really going to uh, slow it down its operation. That's exactly right. And that's really, I think, one of the most effective tactics. And actually, just to add to the point that you just made, one of the other reasons it's so critical to target Amazon and Palantir and these other companies is because it, again, reminds us of the historical legacy of concentration camps, the Holocaust, the role of IBM tech companies at that time facilitating what was the greatest genocide in the history of humanity. And today we see tech companies facilitating similar policies being carried carried out in a very, very dangerous sort of way. And so it again reminds us that when we use the phrase concentration camps, we're linking it to a very real and not so distant history. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and I can't remember the name of the book, but there is this book that documents it, IBM's history with the, with the Nazi Holocaust. And it wasn't just like, oh, they're just supplying them with a, a few like, you know, of their uh, uh, tabulation machines. They they were apparently involved in every single phase uh, of the Holocaust. And I you know, know that that would shock people that, oh, how could American corporations, you know, be involved in uh, something so terrible. But, you know, 
this is a documented history. And of course, you know, let's not forget that uh, Henry Ford was a raging anti-Semite and uh, was a fan of Hitler. So it wasn't uh, there, there were plenty of uh, uh, CEOs and uh, uh, tycoons of, of the day or or oligarchs, let's call them American oligarchs who were uh, sympathetic or even outright uh, pro-Nazi. I want to ask you a quite different question, if I could. This issue in particular, I mean, many issues, but this one in particular is I guess, for lack of a better word, emotionally and psychologically taxing for a lot of people. And I know that it's nothing even remotely in the same universe as the suffering of the people who are actually living through this horrific nightmare, obviously. But for those of us who are observers and who are watching the news and scrolling through our news feeds every day and being sort of, you know, bombarded with these really jarring images and and, and ideas, I want to ask you, how do you... How would you respond to somebody who says, I just, I, I really care about this issue, but I just don't know if I have the mental energy for it? Well, look, I mean, what if this was your child, your niece or, or nephew, you know, your your grandson or granddaughter? Would, would you be like, I don't have the mental energy for this? And, and you know, we, we are really at the beginning point of of that you know the um niemoller uh poem you know when when they came um for the socialists i didn't speak up because i wasn't a socialist when they came for the jews i didn't speak up because i wasn't a jew it's just like you know let's not forget they actually first came for the muslims 20 years ago that's a thing that we we all forget um is that what's going on today is horrific, but this actually began after 9-11, you know, where we had the roundups um, and mass expulsion of uh, thousands of uh, Muslims uh, from the, uh, the U.S. on just the flimsiest grounds, like, you know, like um, not uh, putting your income accurately on a credit card form. It's just like, who does that? You know, who puts a, who puts their, a, 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 you know, their uh, income exactly accurate on a credit card form. But the Bush administration was using that uh, to, uh, uh, as one of the pretexts to expel thousands of Muslims. And then, of course, we had the this global gulag, most prominently with Guantanamo, but also, you know, with Abu Ghraib, with uh, uh, Bagram Air Base, you know, just all these black sites where Muslims were being uh, kidnapped and uh, tortured, or I'm sorry, extraordinarily rendited and enhanced interrogation. You know, I, I need to make sure to get my uh, uh, mainstream media euphemisms correctly. Hey, are so, you going to go to work for NPR? <laughs> I should. <laughs> and But, you know, it's just like, look, I mean, I mean, you know, you know that like I was warning about all all this shit back in 2016. You know, I, I wrote a piece that Counterpunch published two days before the election. Folks should go look it up. It's just like, you know, Donald Trump's uh, plan to make America great again is ethnic cleansing. And I, I don't want to say I predicted it because it's not a prediction. It's It was a dynamic that was clear was being set in motion. And so I talk about all the shit that's going to happen that is happening. 
now two, three years later. And I guarantee you, if he's reelected, we're going to start to see, you know, like terrorism uh, journalists uh, being trumped up on terrorist trials. You know, you we may start to see like uh, anarchists uh, being like disappeared um, into uh, the prison system, people affiliated with uh, Antifa. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, uh, actual pogroms. You know, we have seen uh, what happened in the Tree of Life uh, synagogue was essentially a pogrom. Uh, but I think we'll start to see more organized pogroms, you know, which we almost actually saw in 2016, the Crusader militia in uh, uh, Kansas, uh, which were planning to wipe out an entire community of uh, Somali Americans. Um, and they were waiting to do it after the election because they didn't want to uh, affect uh, uh, the outcome. In other words, they wanted to make sure, uh, you know, uh, they didn't want to do anything to hurt Donald Trump's chances. Um, and they wanted to perpetrate an Oklahoma, so Oklahoma City-style massacre on this apartment complex where like a couple hundred, uh, one to 200 uh, Somali Americans lived. So, you know, it's just going to get worse. There is no safe place to hide. You know, folks, if for no other reason, get involved to save your own skin and that of your family. You know, the, there is no being neutral when, you, you know, you think you can be neutral when you're being shot at. Uh, that's exactly right. And um, I guess uh, I, I'd like to ask you, um, well, I don't know who I don't know who posted it, but somewhere in the No More Concentration Camps Facebook uh, page, somebody had posted uh, something along the lines, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, "If you ever wondered what you would have done in Nazi Germany, the answer is whatever you're doing now." Yeah, and I thought that was a really striking way of putting a very succinct and yet quite powerful idea, namely that. Struggle and resistance against this at this point, it's not even an option. It's an obligation. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 an obligation. And, you know, that's why, you know, I've, I've had some run ins with mainstream journalists who are um, normalizing uh, concentration camps, uh, you know, because they, they play this bullshit both sides ism. It's just like, oh, we can't call them concentration camps because that terminology is is so fraud. It's just like it's actually really simple, the definition, and these meet the definition. And you can also, you know, I do plenty of objective journalism, and there's all sorts of ways that you can qualify it if you want. If you want to, you can say experts call them concentration camps. You can you can and should explain concentration camps does not mean death camps. You should explain concentration camps, you know, existed, you know, 50 years before the Holocaust. And and they've they've gone on since, you know, and the funny thing is, I don't remember any of this debate in the 1990s uh, when the Serbs had the concentration camps in, in the Balkans. No one was getting up in arms at just like, oh, we shouldn't call them concentration camps. This is demeaning the Holocaust. Uh, 
You know, it's just like, give me a break, you know, of or right now, you know, you see like all these people saying the Chinese uh, uh, have concentration camps in Western China for the Uyghurs. It's just like, yeah. And how are these any different than uh, what's going on in the U.S.? If anything, the Chinese are probably uh, uh, concentration camps are probably have better sanitation and better facilities because they're not as uh, inept and as incompetent as uh, uh, these uh, 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 pea-brained uh, uh, concentration camp guards are. Right. I think the Chinese at least have the pretext of trying to make them into re-education camps and not extended punishment camps like what Trump is trying to do. Um, not that we want to get into shades of gray about concentration camps. But <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, I, we're, we're just about out of time, but just I want to just ask you quickly one final question. Uh, people listening out there, they're not currently involved, but they've been listening to us. They know they, they, they just they have to get involved. They feel they have to. What should they do? Where should they go? I mean, is it, do we want to just direct them to the website? Do you have some ideas about how people can get involved? Sure, in sure. I mean, um, you know, some of the groups that I, I mentioned, American Friends Service Committee, Code Pink is is involved doing good work around it. There are a lot of Jewish groups, um, you know, Ben the Ark, Not In Our Name, Jews for Racial and Economic uh, Justice. You can contact uh, any of those groups if you're involved in DSA, and I bet a lot of your listeners are, um, you can, uh, you know, push DSA to get more involved. I've been hearing from folks, uh, who are in DSA who say they really want to see, uh, DSA take on the concentration camps as a primary issue. Um, and you're talking an organization with what, like 60,000 members nationally, you know, if, if you could even, um, mobilize like, 10,000 of those members, that would be huge across the country. You know, 10,000 activists on the issue would make a big difference, especially in the, because they're concentrated in so many major cities. So there's a lot of stuff people can do. You know, it's just like we all need to step it up, right? And this is a moment uh, where we have to make a difference because people will be asking, you know, what did you do when the concentration camps were being set up? And you don't want to be say, like, I, I did nothing and I let them turn into death camps because I'll tell you, you know, 10, 20, 30 years when, you know, because the migration flows from uh, uh, south of the border, climate change is a big factor in it, right? We're going to see increasing social, environmental, economic destabilization. And in a couple of decades, these concentration camps could become death camps. So we have to stop this now. That's very well said. The website, nomorecamps.org, Facebook, uh, No More Concentration Camps. You can follow Arun on Twitter, at Arun Indy. Get involved in whatever way you can. It is of paramount importance. We need donations. We have a GoFundMe also. Um, GoFundMe, I think, No More Camps. Um, You know, we, we really need money to help. I, I, I build uh, this part of the movement, so please donate whatever you can. And again, that is to provide materials, to provide information, things like maps of where the camps are located, contact information, ways that people can get in touch with other groups. There is a need to put all of that information into one place. No More Concentration Camps, nomorecamps.org is attempting to do that. Support it in whatever way you can. And I just have to say, and I know you probably he doesn't want me to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Arun was the driving force behind putting this together. I'm very, I'm, 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 I'm very uh, grateful to him for 
for doing that and for uh, continuing to maintain that level of energy despite all of the other things going on in, in his world and in the world generally. So Arun, we're really grateful to you for all of the work that you've done. Thank you. And and it's really, it's, uh, it's a, a whole big growing uh, community of people who, who are doing it. I certainly could not have done any of this on my own. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So uh, thank you to Arun and to the entire group uh, doing the No More Concentration Camps movement and to everyone who's gotten involved. Very, very, very important that we build a real social movement here. Uh, thank you again for listening, everyone, and we will chat again real soon.